Section 24 of Astounding Stories 15, March 1931. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Douglas W. Taylor, Squim, Washington. On Facebook at Papa Doug Actor. Astounding Stories 15, March 1931, by Various, The Phalanxes of Atlans, Chapter 11. Standing at last on the summit of the great ziggurat, Nelson found himself staring up at the fearsome golden image of the dread demon Beelzebub. The god stood some twelve feet in height, and had a hideous human face, but in place of hair and beard, countless golden tubes writhed in all directions. From the end of one, the puzzled prisoner beheld several tiny feathers of steam creeping forth, indicating that these hairs were a species of steam vent. When, with the other captives, he was made to halt near its base, he further discovered that the idol sat upon a throne of yellow marble, the sides of which were carved with Sanskrit characters, necessarily quite meaningless to the doomed aviator. In a grim and silent rank before Beelzebub's feet stood some six or eight priest-executioners, bending their black-robed bodies against the strong wind which swept that ghastly pinnacle. Just below the base of the image, Nelson noted several great copper coils, no doubt conducting steam from the interior of the ziggurat, between the knees of Beelzebub rested a huge shallow bowl, the use of which puzzled the American not a little, for he saw that the base of this ornate receptacle was also wrapped with a number of steam coils. Two great hands, ending in cruel-looking claws, were stretched horizontally above the demon's knees, seeming to plead for victims. Suddenly, a deep, toned brazen gong sounded somewhere below the trumpeters blew an ear-piercing note and at a gesture from the high priest four of the brawny executioner priests leapt forward seized one of the atlantean victims hurled him to the stone platform and in an unbelievably short interval strapped the shrieking wretch by wrists elbows knees and ankles to a long brass rod slung like a dead deer from a rail they lifted the helpless Atlantean, and while five hundred thousand voices roared in acclaim, the priests fitted the pole ends into notches above the hands of the idol, with the effect that the idol actually seemed to be clutching its victim. Then, from all the pipes composing the hair and beard of Beelzebub, sprang forth hissing spouts of snowy steam, which, whipped by the rising wind, went whirling madly down the lee of the ziggurat. At the same time, from the half-open mouth of the demon, issued a fearful screaming howl, a thousand times louder than the whistle of a speeding locomotive. Deafening and barbaric, it was re-echoed from a hundred towers and battlements. A dreadful, exultant well burst from the multitude below as the red-robed priest drew from beneath his garments a sickle-shaped knife that glittered evilly in the light of the flaming suns. 
Still chanting, he stooped and quickly made a deep incision over the heart of the victim, while a piercing, agonized shriek burst from the ashen lips of the doomed Atlantean. His bright life-blood began to splash into the golden bowl below, where, due to the presence of the steam coils, it swiftly commenced to hiss and bubble very quickly. The last scarlet drops had fallen. Then, while Nelson, sick and horrified, stood watching, the dead body on its pole was taken down, unstrapped, and hurled, limp and red-spattered, to the next lower platform, where other priests waited to dismember it for the ceremonial cannibalism soon to follow. In rapid succession, two more victims were slaughtered amid the blood-hungry cheers of the Jarmuthian populace. Now the great bowl hissed and bubbled with a generous supply of the dark red fluid, from which rose clouds of evil-smelling steam that fanned the hideous features above. From below suddenly arose an excited shout, far mightier than any which had preceded it, when the executioners, sweating from their exertions, now turned and, spying Nelson, hurried forward. Coincidentally, the American's bound hands disappeared beneath the chiton. Squaring his shoulders, he gripped the pistol, prepared to make a good end. They'll get me, but before I die I'll send at least two or three of these devils to hell, he thought. Come on! But, for an inexplicable reason, the archpriest beckoned back his satellites, while roar upon roar of terrific excitement swelled from the swarming mob below, and a shout which at last became distinguishable bid fair to split the heavens. Altara! 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 Slowly, the temporarily reprieved victim's muscles stiffened. He understood. The next victim was to be the fair Altara, sister of Altorius and sacred virgin of Atlans. Altara! Altara! A rising hurricane of impassioned human voices thundered the name. Suddenly, the desire to live burned doubly strong in the American's breast. He must somehow prevent this inhuman catastrophe, but how? How? Stealing a quick glance over his shoulder, Nelson stifled a groan. The southern horizon remained clear and put an end to hope. No help. He must fight it out to the end, alone. A rank of exultant black-bearded priests now appeared at the head of the stairway, then a quartet of olive-skinned, semi-naked priestesses joyfully clashing brass cymbals. There came an interval, and Nelson's heart stood still as there appeared the lovely head and shoulders of her whom he had first seen in the heart of the revolving crystal. Even more fiercely, mad revolt at fate gripped him. Through hot, strained eyes, the American saw the stately Altara was beautiful, beyond all possible comparison, and that she seemed utterly unafraid in the hour of her dreadful death. The Atlantean maiden's large, clear blue eyes were fixed with calm resignation on the distant flame-sun of Gilboa, 
On her curling golden hair had been set a circlet of ceremonial yellow roses, while her white, slender body was thinly covered with a scanty robe of yellow silk. Slowly, and moving her small bare feet in a regal stride, Altara climbed the last few steps and stood, straight and unafraid, before the hideous demon god of Jarmuth. Thousands of frantic inner voices assailed the aviator's consciousness. Save her! You must save her! She's too young, too beautiful to die! Like a vast maelstrom of sound, so swelled the lustful cry of the dark multitude at the base of the ziggurat, while the archpriest chanted his litany in a sort of triumphant exultation. Then, all at once, one of the executioners roughly tripped the golden-haired girl, sprawling her helpless on the bloody stones, and before Nelson could quite realize it, the slender, silver-hued form lay limp and helpless between Beelzebub's bloody claws. Like a dynamo furiously gathering speed, so buzzed Nelson's brain. He was going to save her, if only for a brief interval. One man against a nation. Through a raging mist of fury, he saw the red-robed priest raise his lean arms. Then the American's bound hands darted beneath the blue chiton to reappear immediately. No one saw the pistol, for every eye was riveted upon the gleaming sickle-knife of the Red Priest. Like a voice from hell, that eerie scream burst again from Beelzebub's throat as his priest stepped near, the knife raised. Amid a deafening roar, the sickle-knife flashed higher, but it never fell, for the Red Priest suddenly reeled, clutched his chest, and, staring wildly, staggered sidewise, while the assembled priests stared thunderstruck. The deafening roar of Beelzebub, the clamor of horns and cymbals, had drowned out the report. In superstitious awe, the Jarmuthians leapt back, panic-stricken, from the convulsively writhing body of the red priest, which rolled crazily down the steps before the idol. But a high shout of terror rang out, as he toppled off the summit and, like a discarded puppet, plunged down the precipitous side of the cone-like tower. Again Nelson's pistol spat, and two of the executioners collapsed in kicking agony. Like an avenging fury, the American raged about the summit, the pistol in his bound hands dealing death right and left, until panic seized the remaining priests who, with one accord, abandoned their weapons to rush headlong down the dizzy, winding roadway. In a trice, none but Altara, Nelson, the two Atlanteans, and the fallen priests remained on the summit. It was the work of a moment for the Atlanteans to cast loose Nelson's bound wrists and he theirs. Time was precious, for from below a furious cohort of spearmen were charging up the stairs, their dark features terrible in their wrath. Only four more shots. The sickening realization dashed into Nelson's brain. That'll never stop them. Then, in the midst of his despair, he saw an answer. Stepping back, he fired twice full into the great steam coil circling the base of the idol. Spang! Spang! His bullets smacked through the copper coil to puncture neat, round holes. 
as he fervently hoped, jets of live steam rushed through these vents with terrible force and bathed the head of the stairs with a scalding, blinding vapor. Howling like mad beasts, the agonized Jarmuthian hoplites fell back, while overhead Beelzebub bellowed incessantly, shaking the sky with his hideous voice. That's better. But Nelson knew his triumph to be brief. Where in hell is Alden? he raged, as with shaking hands he released the bewildered girl from the death bar after the two Atlanteans had lifted it and its fair burden from the claws of Beelzebub. Picking up the swords and other weapons of the fallen priests, the two Atlanteans uttered their deep-toned war-cry of Halorvan and joyously prepared to die fighting, as furious roar on roar of wrath arose from the populace, infuriated at being cheated of their prey. But the black-armored temple guards dared not charge those twin steam-jets barring their approach. Accordingly, they tried other means. Nelson's heart stopped as a small, dark object sailed up from below and clattered on the platform. It was a grenade. With the speed of thought, the American kicked it to the landing below, where it exploded, annihilating a detachment of Jarmuthians by drenching them with the terrible fungus gas. Heart bounding with savage joy, Nelson watched the deadly green fog leap from the broken grenade and of its own accord settle on the nearest soldiers. With the usual astonishing speed, there formed on the stricken soldiery that poisonous yellow mold whose fungus-like shoots sprouted through nostrils and mouths. On the dense crowd below, the bomb's effect was appalling, and no more grenades were hurled. During the respite, Nelson's anguished eyes once more swept the skies. He started. Was it true, or was it a mirage? Far to the southward, a small black speck materialized in the orange-hued heavens. Good old Alden! Hope wavered in the American's breast. Could he and his two fellows beat off the infuriated Jarmuthians long enough? He doubted it. A shower of spears sailed up, but because of the angle, their trajectory was too great, and like rays of death, the lances flashed harmlessly overhead to plunge over the summit and wreck death among those on the other side. Nearer and nearer came the black speck, while from the populace a low shout of amazement arose. Coincidentally, Nelson's heart stopped aghast. He saw that the steam was no longer hissing from the holes at the idol's feet. Evidently, the steam current had been shut off from below to allow the raging priests to lead their followers in a desperate charge up the stairs, marshalling an Atlantean to either side. Nelson sprang to the head of the stair and fired full in the face of gorgeously robed priests who staggered back, screaming. But the others wavered only an instant. Hallorvan! Both Atlanteans hurled spears retrieved from the abandoned weapons, and each struck down his man. The American's eyes flickered up. Yes, there came a strange but welcome sight. A great creature with enormous leathery pinions was circling down towards the tower top. A clashing of weapons brought Nelson's eyes earthwards. He joined in a furious melee at the stair top, 
like the Atlanteans, using a captured bronze sword, there came a deep groan as the right-hand Atlantean collapsed with a bloodied bronze spear point standing far out from between his naked shoulder blades. A swooping shadow fell across the slowly advancing attackers. Beholding that awesome creature, the Jarmuthians cowered, hesitated, then, in headlong panic, they darted below, uttering howls of fear, and pursued by the surviving Atlantean, who, gone berserk, must have shortly paid for his folly. The Pteranodon was now quite recognizable, and seated on a double saddle was Alden, skillfully guiding the ungainly monster by means of a curious bridle, by shifting his weight, and by pressing certain nerve centers between the great reptile's leathery shoulders. Down, down circled Alden, until the great wings skimmed just above Beelzebub's ugly golden head. Her courage strained beyond endurance. Altara screamed shrilly in fear as Alden guided the huge reptile to the summit and forced it to light. "'Quick!' shouted Alden. "'They're coming back up!' "'All right!' Catching up the fainting girl, Nelson hurtled two or three fallen bodies, and while Alden showered fungus bombs upon the returning Jarmuthians, he laid his precious burden across the saddle and secured her with straps specially designed for the purpose. "'All right, Dick,' he snapped. "'Get going!' "'But you!' Alden's brown face was terribly intent. "'I'm not going!' This creature could never carry the three of us. It can't, I tell you. Hurry! Those devils are coming! Alden folded his arms. If you don't go, I don't. All right, then, snarled Nelson, vaulting into the saddle after casting loose the inert, yellow-robed girl. Be a damned fool. We'll all die now. It was a near thing for the pterodondon scenting the fresh blood was very loath to obey its master, and scuffed awkwardly around the tower-top two or three times, while Nelson, clutching Altara to him, expended his last shot in driving back the enemy. At last the pterodondon spread its huge brown pinions and took off. Then Nelson gasped in alarm, for, unaccustomed to the heavy weight it now bore, the pterodondon scaled earthwards with the speed of a meteor, wildly flapping its bat-like wings. Down, down, Nelson had an impression of people scattering like frightened ants. Alden cursed, tugged furiously on his bridle, and set his weight back in the saddle, but to no avail. Down, ever down, the pterodondon now struggled among the tall buildings. A sickening sense of defeat gripped Nelson, as a long jet of steam shot out from a huge brass retortii mounted on the roof of an arsenal. The scalding fingers of steam just missed its target, but fortunately served to sting the descending pterodondon. With a convulsive shudder and a whistling scream, the hideous reptile commenced to flap its gigantic wings faster, and slowly but surely began to rise over the yellow temples and towers of the barbarous city of Jezreel. What followed is now a matter of Atlantean history. On its pages is set forth in full detail how the giant Pterodondon barely crossed the boiling river to sink, exhausted, in the outskirts of Tricca. There also is described the series of tremendous battles 
in which the Atlanteans, led by Altorius and inspired by the return of their sacred virgin, employed the terrible fungus gas to overwhelm the Jarmuthian invaders, driving them back with great slaughter to the steaming plains of their own land. At even greater length is described the great triumph Altorius accorded the victorious aviators on the occasion of Victor Nelson's marriage to Altara. Doth it not seem strange, she whispered, as they stood looking out over the great sleeping city of Heliopolis, that thou of the new world and I of the lost world should stand man and wife? The American's tanned face softened. My darling, he whispered, there are lots of strange things in the new Atlantis, but this isn't one of them. The End End of The Phalanxes of Atlans Recording by Douglas W. Taylor Squim, Washington On Facebook at Papa Doug Actor <laughs>